0: This week, I searched the Internet for the worst betrayals in history. Two historical events made it on the more than 10-plus list I looked at that were the most difficult and most most unbelievable betrayals in history. One of those events was when Marcus Brutus, Julius Caesar's adopted son, conspired with other senators to assassinate him on the Ides of March, March 15th of 44 B.C. As Roman historians would write, Caesar first tried to fight off the first wave of knife-wielding assassins. But when Julius Caesar saw Brutus, his adopted son, with his dagger drawn, ready to thrust it into his adopted father's body, he said those famous words in Latin, tu, brute, meaning, you too, Brutus? And when he saw his adopted son trying to kill him, Julius Caesar's heart was so disheartened, he no longer fought back and he died. The second historical event that was on all the lists that I saw was the betrayal of Judas when he sold out Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Many have considered this the world's worst betrayal. And Many of us who have grown up uh, in the church may have forgotten that this is not simply a trivia question nearing Easter. Who was the disciple who betrayed Jesus? This was something rather unexpected. Many have forgotten that Jesus Christ prayed all night before he chose Judas. He prayed all night before he chose his 12 disciples who would constitute the inner core of his team. Judas and Jesus were together almost every day for three years, talking together, eating together, laughing together, living life together. Judas heard the messages of Jesus. He saw the miracles that authenticated his messages. He witnessed with his own eyes the blind seeing again, the lame walking again, and how Jesus turned five loaves and two fish into food abundant that fed more than 5,000 people. And he himself, Judas, was part of this miracle as he shuttled back between Jesus and these multitudes feeding them. And yet Jesus was betrayed by Judas. What would cause someone to do so? Someone once wrote, The essence of betrayal is the fact that someone says, I am willing to hurt you to get something for myself. Betrayal is when one is willing to hurt someone else to get something for themselves. And all of you, many of you have been on the receiving end of being betrayed by your loved ones, family members, or even close friends. And you know the hurt that is experienced when you have been betrayed. And what do you want to do with those who have betrayed you, those who are, who are traitors We want to wring their necks. We want to hurt them badly, just as much as they have hurt us. But how did Jesus handle this worst betrayal of all, someone close to him? How does Jesus respond to the greatest betrayal in history? Let's take a look this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, as we take a look at verses 1 to 38. Luke, chapter 22, verses 1 to 38 As we continue our sermon series entitled imperfect Seeing how imperfect people have the opportunity to be made perfect in Christ How imperfect people have the opportunity to be restored and made perfect in Jesus Christ Luke the third gospel chapter 22 look as I read from verses 1 to 6 Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near which is called passover Passover and the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So Judas promised and sought opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of of the multitude as Jesus' message became more relevant and hit home to those who came to hear it his following grew more devoted and more fervent the Bible tells us while this happened the local Jewish religious leaders began to seek ways on how they might kill Jesus and dispose of him now they didn't do it publicly or openly because they were afraid of his popularity with the people. And they were afraid what the people might do to them if they were to carry out such a horrible act. They found the perfect opening to carry out their plans when Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus, took the initiative to seek them out to discuss how they might betray Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Judas receives from them 30 pieces of silver in exchange for a way by which he would betray Jesus. I've often asked myself the question, why would Judas do such a thing? What would lead Judas to betray his Lord? Now, some may look at verse 3 and think it was because Judas was demon-possessed. For sure, satanic influence would have been a factor working in the heart of one who was already going to abandon Jesus. You see, the desire to destroy Jesus was not only a human plot, but it was part of Satan's plan from the beginning of time to destroy Jesus. And yet, ironically, it was the death of Jesus that led to Satan's ultimate distraction. And so Satan would have influenced Judas, whose heart was already turning But it was his decision. Perhaps Judas was disenfranchised. He was disillusioned with the fact that Jesus would not be establishing a physical kingdom as he had thought. Jesus would not be overthrowing the Roman Empire. You see, perhaps Judas had thought that when Jesus overthrew the Roman Empire and established his own kingdom, that being one of the twelve, he would have a very high position in this new kingdom. Perhaps Judas could no longer buy into the notion that things didn't work out as he had so planned. You see, in the second half of Jesus' ministry, Jesus talked more and more about his death and how he would have to suffer. And Judas didn't want to be a part of that. That is not what he signed up for. Perhaps Judas, being the treasurer of the group, got tired of being poor. He didn't like his current condition. It was not improving according to his own standard. It didn't matter that he had heard the words of Jesus and that he saw firsthand the miraculous things that Jesus, as a son of God, God himself, did that authenticated his message. When things don't go the way you envision, when you don't get what you want, then you begin to look for another way out. You look for another option. And for Judas, it was to betray Jesus in exchange for money. Instant gratification. If you think about the many who no longer walk the Christian faith, if you think about the many who have backslidden, and if you were to ask them, you'll find that many of them, the reason for them being disillusioned with Christ and the Christian faith is because they no longer receive what they wanted to receive from God. They have a wrong view of the Christian life and how it should be. You see, they only heard Sunday mornings what they wanted to hear from the sermons. They only read what they wanted to read from the Bible. And when they begin to experience life that is not a bed of roses, but a life that was very difficult, or they didn't get what they thought they were entitled to, or how God should have treated them, they begin to get upset. They begin to lose faith. Many of these people are those who have prayed earnestly for a loved one, perhaps themselves, to be healed of a disease, and yet it seemed like God did not listen to them and they were not healed. Or they didn't get that job promotion that they were looking for, a promotion that one thought that all Christians are entitled to because they are children of God. Or they're looking and asking of God a baby, a child, and yet God doesn't give it to them but gives it to someone else. It is often cases like this when men and women, similar to Judas, begin to think of other options and would be willing to betray the one they call Lord. Be careful, my friends, that you do not cherry-pick, that you do not pick and choose what you want to hear and what you want to do. Because Jesus spoke publicly and Judas heard and saw everything Jesus did and yet he was still willing to betray Jesus for some pieces of silver. The selfishness and the greed in his own heart was exploited by Satan to carry out this act. But even though Jesus knew about this betrayal, how does he treat Judas? He treats him with overwhelming love because Jesus is one who has come to seek and save the lost. And he exhibits love uniquely to those who are willing or have betrayed him. And they are evidenced in three ways. Let's see what they are. In verses 7 to 13, we don't have time to read these verses. We find out that Jesus wanted to celebrate the traditional Jewish Passover with his 12 disciples. He instructed Peter and John to find a place in one of the many upper rooms in Jerusalem to look for a function room. So that they could gather together and celebrate this most intimate of feasts. And they prepared the meal. And for those of you who have forgotten, the Passover meal was to commemorate when the Lord God sent an angel of death, the last of the ten plagues to Egypt, to kill all the firstborn because Pharaoh had hardened his heart not to let the Israelites out of bondage. And the Israelites were told to prepare a simple meal and to put lamb's blood upon the doorposts and the lintels of the houses so that the angel would pass over those households. Symbolically, the lamb represented one who had died, and the lamb had died in place of the firstborn. And this is where we pick up in verse 14. When the hour had come, Jesus sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus said to his 12 disciples that he wanted to be with them. That before he suffered, before he died, he wanted to have this most intimate of last meals. Imagine what must have been going through the mind and the heart of Judas. The person you are betraying, who is omniscient and who knows all, Is saying to all of them because Jesus as God does not lie. And when he says, I desire for all of you to experience this with me, that includes Judas. In fact, he stresses two times in verse 15 with fervent desire, I desire. I want to be with you, you 12. This would be their last meal together. And he wanted every single one of them to be there at his last dinner party, including Judas. Let me ask you this, my friends. If you somehow knew ahead of time that you would have a last moment, that you would have a last meal on earth, whom would you invite? Of course, you would invite those who you love. You would invite those who love you. Would any of you in your right mind On your last meal on earth, or in your last moment on earth, invite all of your enemies. Would you invite anyone who has betrayed you? Would you invite anyone who has stabbed you in the back? Of course not. If I were in the place of Jesus, I would have outed Judas before the meal. I would have said, Judas, go and do what you want to do. Do not join us in this last of meals. I would have kicked out Judas before this most intimate of meals began but Jesus didn't he said to each one of them in the all truthfulness as a son of god only speaks truth i fervently desire that i desire to eat this passover with you and that includes you judas you see number 1 if you're taking notes jesus's love is most clearly evidenced in his desire for fellowship with traitors Number one, Jesus desires fellowship with traitors. With those who have betrayed him, Jesus intimately wants to be with them. He does not exclude them. This, his last meal on earth, he spends it with a traitor, with a betrayer. It is in this meal that Jesus institutes the ordinance of communion. And this symbolic act in communion is a great reminder of his love for all people. He says these words in verses 16 to 20 for I say to you I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it "...and gave it to them, saying, Note this, This is my body, which is given for whom? For you. Do this in remembrance of me." Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is what? Shed for you. Jesus brings in the significance of his eventual death in the Passover feast. And here, as he institutes communion... He's asking them to remember him. Each one of the twelve, remember me. Why? Because my body will be broken for you. My blood will be shed for you. Everything that will be done will be done for you. And I can only imagine that Jesus looks at each one of his twelve disciples. My body and blood for you, Matthew. For you, Peter. For you, James. For you, Judas. He was there. This is my body which is given for you, Judas. This is my blood which is shed for you. Imagine how Judas must have taken it. Verse 21 and 22. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined... But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus is not naive. He reveals that he knows that there is a traitor among them. Now, I don't believe he says these words with sternness, but with love and compassion that exudes out of his last words. My betrayer is here in this table. It's okay. The things that I must go through have been predetermined, but a warning Here's another chance. Here's the implication. He's saying, I'm giving my life for the betrayer as well. He says this right after he institutes communion. My body broken, my blood shed is for the lost. It's for people who betray me. We found out in John chapter 13 that when Jesus is seating his disciples around the table, he seats Jesus at the seat of honor right next to him where they share food and where they dip from the same sauces as a sign of friendship at any time during that dinner Judas could have could have whispered to Jesus Jesus I'm so sorry he could have asked Jesus for forgiveness but sadly he does not verse 23 Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. When I think about this moment, my stomach is sickened. Judas must have been the world's greatest actor. Can you imagine as they're discussing who is the betrayer? Judas, knowing it was him, Peter, is it you? Matthew, it must be you. Now in our minds, we have a thought that everyone knew that Judas would be the one who betrayed him. But but you need to read their scriptures carefully. I believe that no one there would have thought in their wildest imagination it would have been Judas. In fact, so trusted was Judas among the 11 that they appointed him as the treasurer. John chapter 13, verse 29. He was so trusted among the 12 that he was chosen to be the one who held their money. And as the names were flying out, who it was that could betray Jesus, for sure, they wouldn't have thought it would have been Judas. It's not so easy to pinpoint one who would betray. It's not so easy to pinpoint one who would be a traitor against Christ. And as they were accusing each other, who was the model disciple? Who was the most likely? Who was the most faithful? Unfortunately, the argument turned into who among them was the greatest. Imagine, just after the Savior had told them he would suffer, they are arguing who is the greatest, who had the most faith, who would stand by Jesus. Verse 24 to 28. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentile exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table, Or he who serves. It is not he who sits at the table. Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But note this. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. While they are arguing, Jesus speaks up. And he says, what in the world are you arguing about? This fight about who's the greatest. And this fight about supremacy is a useless fight. You're fighting an earthly temporal battle. Look at me, I have exemplified greatness in serving others. And it's not recorded in this gospel, but you remember that it is in this upper room that Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Jesus is not bragging. He is showing forth the greatness of someone who is humbly serving others. He tells them, But you, you who have been faithful to me, here's what you will receive. Look what he says in verse 29 to 30. He reveals something more about this ongoing battle of greatness. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus says to these twelve, if you are humble, if you stick with me, then when I establish the kingdom... And when you are promoted in glory, you twelve will have the privilege to judge your own countrymen. You will have the privilege to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. You will be in that position of greatness. You will be in that position of leadership if you stick with me. Judas would have heard this truth. He was part of the twelve. Jesus... Was saying to all those who were there Even though he had already identified That there was a betrayer among them He says that if you stick with me You will eat in my eternal kingdom And you will have power Judas would have thought to himself If I betray Jesus I get 30 pieces of silver If I stick with Jesus I will have the opportunity To be in leadership for all eternity it should have been a wake-up call to Judas. He should have realized that Jesus was showing all of them, even the traitor, that there were greatest, greater things to come. And that's our second point. Jesus promises traitors of greater things to come. He presents an option for all 12 of them. You have remained faithful up to now. You haven't betrayed me yet. There is still time. If you remain faithful to me, you will be in that position of leadership and of greatness that you crave as you serve faithfully. It's up to you. What do you want? He promises traitors of greater things to come. You know, we play this game all the time. We ourselves look at our lives and we judge Which is worth it We play the greatness game all the time We Juggle whether we want the greatness of this earth Or the greatness of Jesus' future kingdom And so we weigh it What can I get here on earth? The greatest things we can attain are to have amazing cars lots of money Many houses big houses honor prestige awards recognition, you know all of that And we all know that you can't take those things with us, and yet we strive for those things when we realize that the greatness that comes with Jesus Christ is something that is eternal. The Bible tells us one day we are faithful. We will co-rule with him. Here we are abandoning Jesus for the sake of reaching the top of our profession. And yet we've forgotten that with one moment Jesus can take us where we are and bring us to a point where we are ruling the world. This is his promise to us. He lays it very clearly. He promises traitors that there are greater things to come. And look what happens, something very interesting, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. It's interesting that Jesus does not call out Judas. Who does Jesus call out? He calls out Simon Peter. And he says, Peter, Peter, Satan wanted you. He wanted to overwhelm you that you would turn away from me. The sifting of wheat is Satan's desire to test and to separate Peter from Jesus. But if you read the Greek, Satan has asked for you. He's, he's saying he asked for all of you, not only Peter, but he's asking for every one of you to sift you a sweet. And Jesus says, Peter, I'll give you a second chance. You will deny me. And Jesus said, I prayed for you. And when you return back, would you encourage his fellow apostles? Oh, this must have embarrassed Peter so much. Verse 33. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter's reaction was, Lord, I will never deny you. I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to die for your sake. This was a natural reaction after every one of them had just argued who was the greatest, Peter says, I will stand by you through thick or thin. And then Jesus said in verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus says to Peter, you will deny me three times, not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter's claim that he would never abandon Jesus, he did, and he did it three times. Now, let me stop here and ask you something. Whose denial and betrayal was worse, Judas's or Peter's? Did you ever think about that? Whose denial was worse? Whose betrayal was worse, Judas or Peter? In my view, it would have been Peter. Why? Judas, in no recorded gospel writing, ever publicly claimed that he would never betray Christ. Peter, at every opportunity, Lord, I will stand by you. Through death, I will still never betray you. Judas betrayed Jesus once. Peter, how many times? Three times. The first time. The second time he didn't learn his lesson. The third time he swore, I do not know this man. Peter's betrayal was worse than Judas's. And yet, Jesus says, When you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus was saying, Not only to Peter, but every one of them who was listening. It doesn't matter if you betray me up to three times. I will forgive you. You can return to me. You see, the third evidence of Jesus' great love is that Jesus gives traitors a second chance. Jesus gives traitors a second chance. And we're not told in the Gospel of Luke when... Judas runs out. But if he's still there when Jesus speaks this to Peter, then he would have heard that there is a possibility of restoration even though he had betrayed Jesus. There was still a chance. And that's why Peter was restored because after he denied Jesus three times, he came back and asked, God for forgiveness at the end of the Gospel of John. Judas had that opportunity, but somehow he never thought that Jesus gives traitors a second chance. But Jesus said, Yes, I do. Once, twice, three times, I will still welcome you back. Verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, Nothing. Jesus asks them a question. He says, When I sent you out with very few things, little resources, did you ever need anything? Did you ever lack anything? And the disciples answered, No. You see, Jesus wanted to ask them, Do you trust me? And if you trust me, have I ever let you down? And they answered in verse 35, You have never let us down. And Jesus said to them in verse 36, But now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written shall must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said to each other, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. In contrast to verse 35 and verse 36, Jesus was saying to them, or you can take all that you have, which, which, which is what you have now, maybe the money bag in reference to the bag of silver, if Judas was still there. Take what you have, the resources, and you can go and you can trust those things. And these disciples were so clueless. They said, Jesus, are you trying to take inventory of our resources? We've got two swords. We can fight them. Jesus, perhaps frustrated, says, it is enough. And he ends that conversation, and they walk towards Gethsemane, which we'll study next week. But here was Jesus. He is saying, you have an option. You can either follow me, you can trust me, you can be faithful, or you can trust in the things of the world. Jesus was saying, the decision is yours. You trust me or you trust the world. If I were to ask you, in that setting, who is the traitor among them? You'd all tell me Judas, and you'd all be wrong. You see, the traitor among them was also Peter. The traitor among them was also James, was also Andrew, was also Matthew. Why? Because when Jesus was arrested, all of them scattered. All of them left him. Every single one of those 12 were traitors. They stabbed Jesus in the back. left him so it was important that Jesus reminded them in his last meal with them that he desires fellowship with traitors he reminded these traitors that there was greater things to come if they followed him and he reminded them that he would be willing to give them a second chance We vilify correctly Judas. And we say we would never be like him. But every one of those 12 disciples were traitors. So it is if I were to ask this morning. Who is the traitor among us? Who are the traitors this morning in this church? The answer is. All of us, every single one of us has sold out Jesus to the world in some form, in some fashion, every day of this week. Remember the definition I gave you at the beginning? The essence of betrayal. I'm willing to hurt you to get something for for myself. Every day we willingly hurt Jesus so that we can gain the love of a friend we hurt Jesus. We stab him in the back so that we can progress in this life. We betray Jesus every day. We constantly stab him in the back when we adulterate ourselves to the world. We sell out to the world. We do. But this is how amazing the love of God is. Shown through his son, Jesus Christ, God himself this great unconditional love clearly express that even though we have betrayed him in the most heinous of ways, he wants to be with us. He forgives us and that he has for us greater things to come. Will you continue to sell out to the world when there is one who does something like that? We ourselves, who find it very difficult to forgive people who betray us, will continue to betray one who welcomes us with open arms and is willing to forgive us. You need to go back and think about whether you want to give your life to the world or your life to Jesus. William Blaine, in his poem, 30 Pieces of Silver, it's a powerful poem. But I'm only going to read two paragraphs towards the end. He writes this It may not be for silver, it may not be for gold, but still by tens of thousands is this precious Savior sold. Sold for a godless friendship, sold for a selfish aim, sold for a fleeting trifle, sold for an empty name. Sold in the mart of science, sold in the seat of power, sold at the shrine of fortune, sold in pleasure's bower. Sold where the awful bargain none but God's eye can see. Ponder, my soul, the question, shall he be sold by thee? Will we continue... To betray Jesus? Will we continue to sell him out for a little more money? For a little more friends? For a little bit more prestige? Will we sell him out? Because if the question is asked, is there a traitor among us? It's all of us, including me. May God forgive me when I've sold him out. Thank you, Jesus, that you in that last moment when there was a traitor among you showed yourself real and showed yourself transparently and with such love to tell me and to tell all of us He still gives us a second chance. Oh, if it were that Judas would have asked God for forgiveness, but we vilify him. Oh, if we ourselves would ask God for forgiveness and not walk the path of Judas. He is rightfully vilified, but don't you ever think that you are better than him don't you ever think that you would never do what Judas did because we have and we have to admit it and if we admit it then it begins the process towards restoration with Jesus like Peter once, twice, three times us a thousand times and yet Jesus says come to me I want to be in fellowship with you. I have greater things for you planned. One day, may it be, that when Jesus looks at this church and the question is asked, is there a traitor among them? Jesus will look in this church and say, no. There are no traitor. There are no traitors and betrayers among this group because they are not willing to sell themselves out and sell me out to the world. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a challenge even to my own eyes. I am no better than Judas. Many a times I have sold you out for a little bit more pleasure, a little bit more acceptance a little bit more money. Forgive me, Lord, and forgive all of us who have betrayed you every day. May it be that we recognize your unconditional love and begin that restoration process. When Jesus says, who are those who betrayed us and betrayed me, we raise our hand and we say, sorry, Lord. Change my life. Help me to stand with conviction. I will see the greater glory that will come. So I will not be pulled by the world. We trust you, Lord. We love you. We want to remain faithful. May this church not have any traitors in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.